Good evening. Have you wondered about a grandmaster's journey? It's a long way to the east and there's often a long tale and experience to get to that point. This evening, we have the pleasure of interviewing most worshipful Robert C. Talbot about his entire journey through masonry and his time in the Grand East. It's an amazing tale and we have a great episode lined up for you right after this on Historical Light. Welcome back to the Historical Light Masonic Podcast, dedicated to illuminate our past and bring our Masonic history to light since 2016. Now, enjoy the show. Good evening and welcome back to Historical Light, an independent Masonic show focused on the historical events and aspects within Freemasonry. I'm your host, Brother Alex Powers, and I'm happy to be joined here with Most Worshipful Bob Talbot. Thank you so much for being with us this evening, my brother. Uh, my pleasure. Thanks for the opportunity. Not a problem at all. Now, we typically go through and have introductions and some icebreakers, but this is not your normal historical light episode. We're going to go through this quite a bit differently, and uh, we're going to get to know you through this entire episode. So we're going to kind of skip the introduction for now, but I want to give an introduction of exactly what this is and why we have this different episode going on. So we were tasked with uh, the Kansas Lodger research to go through with a little bit of like an oral history project and interview our grandmasters, past grandmasters. So we've been doing that through the Kansas Lodger research with exit interviews as our grandmasters exit the East, but we got to catch up on those living past grandmasters. So without reinventing the wheel, we teamed up with the Kansas Lodger research and historical light, and we're going to bring those to you here to preserve that history and uh, have or give you the option to tune in as well and hit them with some questions. So if you have questions for our past grandmaster here, be sure to throw those in the comments live and we will get those asked for you as well. So my brother, thank you so much for being here this evening. It's a true honor, especially because you're the one that kind of put me in this role with uh, the Kansas Lodge research and everything. And it's been an amazing ride. And you have been hugely influenced, uh, a huge influence in my Masonic journey. So really, really look forward to getting to have you for this interview. No, look forward to it. I'm humbled by your comments uh, and just appreciate the opportunity to be with the brothers tonight. Fantastic. Well, let's start off and get to know you and really how this all began right from the beginning. What is it that brought you to Freemasonry in the first place? Was it a family connection or what was it? Yeah, no, um, it, it was definitely a family connection. It's interesting. Uh, yeah, during uh, my latter years in high school, my dad, who was always a joiner, um, uh, anytime we moved to a new location, and we'll talk about that in a little bit, um, we did move some as I was growing up. He found a way to get connected with the community, whether it's the volunteer fire department, whether it was with the uh, uh, other um, men's organizations, uh, the moose. And uh, when he settled in Newbury, South Carolina uh, in the 70s, uh, he gravitated toward the Masonic Lodge. He had never joined the, the Freemasons in his life until then. So my dad absolutely is a legacy, very influential part of why I joined. But, you know, it's interesting growing up back in junior high and high school, 
All I know is dad put on a sport coat and went to lodge once a month, right? Uh, didn't really talk <laughs> sure. about it. Wasn't part of the dialogue of the house. So, um, but definitely even before he took the degrees, he lived the tenants, right? Uh, that 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 servant uh, mindset and just finding a way to to give back. So um, it was a legacy. I understand there's also a further legacy somewhere on my paternal side of the family. Uh, have not done the research yet. May, may need your help, Alex. Uh, but I've got a great grandmother that was somewhere in the state level organization of Eastern Star in Oklahoma. So um, there's a piece of furniture that's been handed down through the family, but mm-hmm. I'm not sure anyone's ever done the research. So a little bit of legacy is what got me started um, for sure. Um, Fantastic. I mentioned in Newberry, South Carolina. So uh, he joined, and uh, that was toward the end of my junior high school years. And uh, he had mentioned Malay and prompted for it. I really wasn't that interested, but I wanted to uh, maybe um, kind of get on Dad's good side and say, "Yeah, sure, I'd be to join Dad. You're a Mason. I'll join that, and just kind of uh, maybe uh, put an investment in the Dad account, if you will." So I joined Freemasonry, but really wasn't that active. Uh, in Newberry all through um, junior high and high school, right? Um, and just left it, uh, went on with life, moved out, went to school, uh, finally got established in uh, Wichita, Kansas before kind of started getting the itch and, and and doing a little further looking into it. All right. So he got you into Demolay. How was how was that experience for you? Say you, you weren't super active, but it, did it click with you any? Uh, was, was there any kind of uh, inkling of you want to take this further? Or is it just something you were a member of at the time? You know, um, actually, I, besides going through degrees, I, I did sit in some meetings, right? And definitely what, what I could relate to was the fraternal part. Um, we were involved sure. in scouting, me and my brothers, right, in younger years. So definitely, there was already the fraternal bond piece that you see in, right. in scouting and DMLA and others. But uh, other than that, it was a time in life where I was very involved with music and band, both orchestra and marching band, right, in junior high and high school. So that was kind of my life. So didn't really invest a lot of time with DMLA. I enjoyed it, went to a couple meetings, and then uh, um, it, as as I got into high school and uh, I'm sure, uh, you know, girls came into the picture there, uh, just really didn't become active, never got involved in a leadership line or, or attended too many meetings once I got into high school for DMLA. A hundred percent. So it, it's kind of interesting to look back, especially at the youth orders, because as we see, our, our, our children in today's world uh, are really not that drawn to those, you know, those, those joining circles like that. Um, but when we look back, they were massively huge in membership. So it's interesting to see the uh, the progression of interest levels throughout the years of, of how that clicks so well. So with the DMOLA, as you kind of gear towards the age of, of joining Freemasonry, was that on your foresight? Was this something like, you know, I'm definitely going to become a Mason or, or what is it that actually made you uh, cross over? Yeah, I, I can't say there was really anything uh, past college when I finally settled down in Wichita, Kansas uh, around 1989 and, and got married. Um, my, my, my brother, Merle, my blood brother, and I uh, uh, both just kind of unplanned, had, had a random discussion about, hey, dad had this masonry thing. Have you ever looked into it? No, neither have I. And it just started a discussion that um, we, we thought we'd at least look into it. And uh, right. it was at, at the same time. And uh, it, it really just took a couple of concerted discussions with he and I to, to kind of 
what's the mystery? We don't know what it is. Dad did yeah. it. We have some other legacy to get started. So it was uh, around 92 when those discussions started. And we immediately just kind of picked up the phone and luckily found the right people to get hold of to really kind of take our interest and say, yes, it's here. We've been waiting for your call, whether you know it or not type of thing. Right. right? So, yeah. Now, so that, that's interesting in itself. How important do you think it is that not that specific person, but that person in the general sense, that first contact to answer those questions on masonry, if someone else would have answered that call, do you think it would have impacted your interest in masonry or moving forward from that point? Yeah, you know, hindsight's a beautiful thing. I've got uh, a wonderful relationship with that person that answered the phone for three decades now, right? But um, I think if I just had someone with the same enthusiasm, the the same... um, the same manner, uh, I would say the same. Uh, he, he had this skillful art of, of knowing when I was talking to him on the phone that that he needed to help me find my hook. And he was able to read me and make that happen, right? So I think just finding the right person on the other end of the phone to understand I was looking for connection and help me find that. Um, right. Yeah, yeah. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. I, You know, I, I think uh, not enough of us really consider the impact those conversations have, uh, and you know, how that will play out 30 years down the road of how, you know, a brother will look back at that very moment. And you could be that deciding factor that either drove someone away from joining or secured uh, their path into Freemasonry. That's fantastic. I'm, I'm glad you got the right person on the phone for sure. You know, and I think the key uh, to this individual was uh, uh, understanding there's there's something of a sense of urgency. You know, we get in Freemasonry yeah. and we know things take time and it's all about the journey. But from the time that I called the phone number, since, you know, I'm, I'm going back 30 years here to your younger Masons, right? Uh, it was a phone number in a phone book, a little paper book, right, that I called here in Wichita, right? And um, he, he understood that there was a sense of urgency so that within 24 hours, he had called me back telling me who would be contacting me to get me further information, right? So um, it was a hot handoff. Um, I think he understood the, the distractions that are out in the world. And if, if we get someone who's interested and let them sit for too long, and again, I don't think that's months or weeks, sometimes it's days, right? Yeah. Then we're going to lose them. John got that. John absolutely knew that. And within 48 hours, I was sitting in front of a live person talking about my interests and what I'm looking for. And he explained how he could make masonry help me find that, right? Sense of urgency was really important. Yeah. So it sounds like you and your brother went through uh, the initiation of Freemasonry around the same time. How, what kind of impact did that play, having, having a brother, a blood brother, to go through uh, this journey with you? Yeah, it, it it meant so much then, and I had no idea what it would mean, you know, out through the rest of my current life and future life. Um, we were interested together. We, we did go together. We took all of our degrees together. Um, we went through the officer line together. Um, our dad, who was not co-located here, he was on the uh, retired in the southeast. Uh, he flew out for our degrees. So um, I knew it would mean a lot. Um, my brother and I were very close, but definitely had different lives and different interests, even outside of uh uh, family is important, but a lot of different interests. So it's the one thing that really brought us together during a crucial time in our lives when we were establishing our families and establishing ourselves, right? Yeah. Can't put a value on it. Can't put a value awesome. on it. Now, what, what lodge is it that you went through? I know you said in the Wichita area. 
Yeah, thank, uh, I'm a member of Albert Pike Lodge, number 303, uh, here in Wichita, as, as is my brother, Merle, as well. That's fantastic. Now, if you could, I know it's been a while, you've been in the game for a while, but thinking back to your degrees, just getting into masonry and making it through those first three degrees, who would you say are not just your mentor that was assigned, but some just impactful mentors you might've had during that time and maybe a memory or two that spawns to mind? Yeah, there's a couple of memories there, right? So, um, and, and the list could go on and on. I'll try not to do the Grammys list of, of thanking people, right? But, um, you know, there's there's a coaching. We had dedicated coaches twice a week, right? So Dennis Roberts sat in front of a desk for me for two hours a week when I gained interest and also to learn my proficiencies to advance, right? But it really has to start back to um, to Terry Kirstein, who actually was a gentleman that called me. Uh, John Myers was the one who took my initial phone call. And then he turned it off to a gentleman named Terry Kirstein. And uh, sitting in a McDonald's one Saturday morning, my brother Merle and I with Terry, and it was our first meeting with And he answered all of our questions. He uh, he went through what the requirements would be, what's important, making us understand this would be a journey and take a while. And he patiently answered all of our questions and asked if there was anything else. And he said, I'm going to go. Um, my daughter's getting married in three hours. And the fact that this man that I'd never wow. met in my life gave me two hours in a McDonald's on a Saturday morning, the day of his daughter's wedding, um, right. it's a memory I'll never forget, right? That was how important masonry was to him and to continuing the legacy, right? So uh, still still get chills when I that one just a little bit, right? So that is, Terry that's Christine, yeah. Yeah, Terry Christine for sure. And then um, I would uh, probably be a mess if I don't mention uh, – uh, Worshipful Brother Scott Kaler, he was a master of Albert Pike Lodge in 94, 1994, and he is the one that really understood, hey, these these Talbot boys are in, they're, they're active, but I got to put these guys to work. And that's a message and a lesson that has impacted me in my whole Masonic career is we've got to put people to work to let them right. find where their stall is and how to get active. So so along with uh, Dennis Roberts and Terry Kirstein and, and dozens of others, Scott Kaler actually put us on the officer line. Uh, it was just a one-year appointment as a steward but uh, and told us we need to get busy, find out what that is and get busy. So all those guys were very instrumental in those early, early years for me. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. So I, I kind of preface that because sometimes when you ask guys these questions, they'll stick to, well, this is the mentor that helped me through my degrees. But when you really think about it, we have so many mentors and maybe it's a mentor in one little spot. Maybe it's a mentor for decades long, but we have so many guys through our Masonic journeys that really impact us in ways that they may not even ever know. So it's, it's amazing to hear those stories come from you. Yeah. Now, we do have uh, one comment coming up from Brother uh, Hackney uh, saying that getting young men to join us is difficult, but once you or once they do, it's a lot of work to keep up with enough activities and projects to keep them engaged. So kind of tying back to the time in DMLA there, that's, that's a great point. Absolutely. And I think there's so many opportunities, not sure I need to comment on that, but, uh, you know, it, it, it doesn't have to be something big. It just has to give people something to get their teeth sunk into. And I think Scott excelled at that. And even the master before him, uh, my first year in, you know, there's committees, um, get, getting the new guys involved on a committee. They don't have to chair it. They probably shouldn't chair it, but just to get them involved, right? And uh, find try to find out what is the level of activity they're looking for. If right. they're a once a month attending meeting and they're delighted for that, 
that's fabulous. If not, let's give them something to sharpen their teeth on, right? And, and get to going on. So great point. Great point. Yeah, fantastic. So we, we talked about you and your brother went through, uh, went through the officer line and your Blue Lodge together. So I'm kind of curious, at the time that you got your Master Mason, your third degree, um, what were your aspirations at that point? I, we often get thrown into officer line, but did you think at that time, I'm going to be master of this lodge? And, and was that a heavy thought or where, were your, where was your mind at that point in time? Definitely not initially, right? Um, at the time in, in the early 1990s, uh, uh, Albert Pike, um, it, it still is a very large lodge as far as membership right. goes, but also in participation, right? So um, um, had no aspirations of joining the, the leadership line uh, or the officer line. Uh, they had a very active study club. So as as anyone that knows me, that's kind of what my hook has been, has been the ritual, right? So Definitely. from day one, that sparked an interest in me and got me into study club, but um, no desire at all. Um, at, at that time at Albert Pike Lodge, the study club had its own officer line and it was somewhat structured and informally official for the study club, right? And uh, they rotated that out and you advanced up learning those chairs. So <clears throat> I started getting a little bit of understanding of the officer line from there and, and probably Probably about the time Scott put me to work, you know, after one year, probably around 1995, I realized, yeah, I'm really loving the steward thing and engaging and the leadership and learning and growing and developing. And that's that's probably when the spark hit was that first year after Scott put us in line there. Fantastic. Now, did you go through and serve all the chairs or did they bump you up any? Um, I think there was a one year break in line. So I may have just skipped one chair, I believe. Other than that, started I started as senior steward uh, versus junior steward. Um, but other than that, uh, I think there was only one, maybe one bump in there. I think it was the next year around around the uh, uh, senior deacon line. It bumped up one, but uh, at least five years went, went through the line there and needed every one of them. Uh, thank yeah. goodness I was able to, right? So, yeah. And that, that's exactly what I was going to get your, uh, get your opinion on because, you know, a lot of guys, we get those big ambitions and we just want to go straight to master. Um, and it, you know, it can seem like the longest time in the world, but we've all seen those guys that get thrown in and, and jumped up chairs and all of a sudden they're in the master seat. And it's like, whoa, I could have used some more time. Yeah, absolutely for me. And I think, you know, you, I think you t touched on this a little bit ago. I think there's some lodges where almost by necessity and keeping the doors open, they've got to find the next guy. Yeah. Get him raised and then get him into a chair and and anything that a lodge can do, the brothers and you know, past masters can do to, to try to just hump the brakes just a little on that and and, right. and let the brother tell you what's his what's his burn rate. Hey, I need a year, needing two, and then I'll be there, right? So let's keep him busy, but we don't have to shove him right into the soft chairs, right? Um I, I know that's tough with some lodges and maybe it's necessity, but uh, I, I think it would serve the lodge well for past masters to see how can I help, right? Find the right pace for right. these people, right? Yeah. Kind of really, uh, really thinking about the long game there versus, yeah. versus the short game. <clears throat> so when you get into this line, you've worked up into your principal officer roles, approaching the, the east of the lodge. You know, at that point in time, you're nowhere near grandmaster. East of the lodge is, is oh, a yeah. big deal. Uh, it's a lot of weight to take on. When you became master of your lodge, give me some uh, memories there, feelings. Where were you at? 
Yeah, thanks. First of all, just um, um, pleased to have you know be serving with my brother Merle. The way it worked out by chance was uh, I was one year ahead of him in the, the officer line. So um, to me, I I can't imagine the other way around for me to be serving in the East and not have him in the active line. Just selfishly. Right worked out good for me. Um, definitely, we're, we're a very active lodge, had a lot of family events. Uh, and, um, you know, like a lot of uh, lodges, uh, we had the traditional roles. Uh, um, senior ward, you know, you, you were, took care of the meal. But in, back in, in the 90s, you know, we had 50 or 60 people attending lodge. So the meal was an all-out effort. So uh, I don't care if you were sitting in the east all the way down to the junior steward, you probably had your hands in the pot, either cooking or cleaning sometime that night. <laughs> right. So you were very busy. You had to understand all the roles. Um, um, definitely, we had a, a very, um, I think, active programs for the year. Um, definitely, Masonic Ed was something uh, uh, that we were very engaged in at the time and really haven't broken that with Albert Pike. Been very, very pleased and beneficial with that. Um, you know, I had a couple guest speakers in, um, uh, and I think that's important. If you can get some speakers in from outside of your area, you guys all know the right. the saying, you know, about uh, um, you need to get outside of your area to really get get the wisdom. The smartest guy in the room has got to be at least 50 miles away from you, right, type of thing. So uh, I think that's important, right, is, is to introduce some different concepts into the lodge and different discussion items and was able to do that um, that year. Um had the privilege of being right on the cusp of our association and affiliation with Prince Hall at that time. That was this oh, was 1999 when I was in the East. So um, definitely, we had already started a relationship with um, Arc Valley Lodge here in Wichita, Kansas, and uh, um, of course Grandmaster Jeff Souter. We were two and a half years into our acknowledgement of them. So um, there was some somewhat uh, I'm going to say humorous pressure from both grandmasters saying when you guys going to get together get get uh, his name was ae tishner was the master of arc valley lodge that year we talked a lot and just really couldn't get the meetings together to the end of the year but it was a pleasure having uh, prince hall brothers come in uh, to our lodge and really um, help us understand the relationship that we needed to continue building right. and they helped us elevate our game right in so many ways prince hall here in kansas uh, do some things differently that i think had um, tremendous value and, and memories to me, right, uh, or what they bring to a lodge meeting. So definitely enjoyed that in Wichita that year as well with Arc Valley Lodge. That's beautiful to hear. And I, yeah, 100% along with you, especially just celebrating our 25 years, uh, just what, last week? Uh, exactly. It was an amazing event. So yeah, I've been lucky enough in my career to come in and that's that's been in place the entire time. I've been a Mason. And unfortunately, we look at other places that aren't quite there. Um, and it's it's beautiful to be in such a jurisdiction that, that has those uh, values in place and works to keep them strong. So that's fantastic here. That was a part of your journey. Yeah, little 30-second story there, right? Um, yeah, yeah. You know, it, it's amazing, even back in 1999, that, you know, things should be awkward, you know, with that affiliation. But it was new, right? So you all have to, even though uh, uh, it, it should, well, pe people question, why was that awkward at all? Well, it just wasn't known, that affiliation. Sure. But I uh, was working with A.E. Tishner. We had talked a lot, right? And and we were going to meet for lunch one day and, and kind of iron details out. Finally, we've got a date and a venue. Um, and so... Um, uh, go to this restaurant over a lunch hour, and I'm sitting there, and uh, 12.10 goes by, 12.15, 12.30. So finally, I pick up the phone. It's like, uh, uh, hey, brother, I know you probably got busy, uh, worshipful, but uh, sitting here at, uh, uh, I'm going to throw some names out here, Mike Steakhouse here in Wichita, and 
you know, boy, thought we really had this nailed down and we were going to meet today. Uh, can we reschedule? And he's like, well, I'm sitting here at Doc's Steakhouse. So somehow we miss names. We're both sitting in a restaurant waiting on the other one. And and uh, up oh, until no. recent years, we laughed about uh, our initial get together was so scheduled and prescribed that uh, we, we sat in different restaurants for, for the better part of 45 minutes before we called each other, <laughs> laughed about it and eventually met. Right. So kind of interesting there. That's awesome. It, it, it makes you think uh, how many stories like that in masonry there are, because we've all been exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. So one really neat fact uh, that I, I heard you mention was you had a lot of family involvement in your lodge, especially during the time that you were a master. Um, some lodges do not uh, really put effort in the family environment at all. How important one way or another do you think uh, family involvement is to the benefit of Freemasonry? Absolutely. You know, and, and um, there's so many opinions out there. Um, mine is you absolutely have to have family awareness and understanding of what's important in my life, whether it's Freemasonry or my work or hunting. That's that's just crucial. Right. Uh, and first of all, it's it keeps that relationship healthy. Uh, what's important to your important person has got to be important to you to some degree. So I think it's just the level of understanding, letting the family know what's important to us. Number one. Number two, selfishly, if we just want to be involved, then we got to balance our time at home. So I think having that understanding of what dad is doing when he goes to lodge or what the husband's doing is critical, right? And then um, letting them pick their level of involvement. Um, I know at, at, at the time we had, uh, besides watermelon feeds, we would have Saturday breakfast once a month. And I was actually open to the public and, you know, having kids playing in the dining hall. So I, I think it's absolutely crucial at least uh, to their understanding of what's important to you, why you do this, right? And then whether they find a spot in, in, in there or not to get active, to me is, is to a large degree irrelevant, right? Hopefully they will. Um, my daughter never really caught the spark to move into the organizations. So sure. there's no doubt she knows how important masonry is to me and, and my relationships with other people, right? It's critical. It's critical that they understand. A hundred percent. I fully agree with you there. And you know, kind of the way I've always uh, looked at is to really have that brotherly bond that we go after so much. Like, I need to know more about you than just who you are during this one hour twice a month. Uh, to yep. be able to get to know each other's families, um, it it really goes the extra mile, and uh, it, it I think it benefits in all directions. So that's that's amazing yep. to hear you guys implemented that. And, and so, to the credit now, I would say that um, I think over the last 10 years, the lodge officers are probably have more family-oriented programs and events than we even did back then. So I, I uh, applaud, applaud my lodge for doing that. Yeah, Fantastic. Fantastic. So moving past uh, your time in the east of the lodge, um, typically in Kansas, we have this thing where you, you go through district deputy and area deputy and stuff. Um, how did that come about for you? Did you, did you serve in those roles and how were you approached for that? You know, um, I never served as district deputy or area deputy. Um, is that right? I, I could, that is right. I can say I was approached once and the timing just wasn't right. Um, uh, for me, um, in, uh, 1999, as I was exiting the East of the lodge, my daughter was three. So, uh, sure. uh, I was concerned I should even continue then, but she wasn't in school. So I got out of the East and after that, uh, I got involved with, with life and family. Right. And, uh, glad that I did. Right. So uh, did not serve as area or district deputy. It was approached once, but the timing wasn't right. Um, ritual was really um, my main thing. So I, I was blessed and think this is maybe my hook into later involvement. Um, 
um, decided for me to understand the ritual that I, I had to get my unlimited. It kind of, that part wasn't negotiable for me. I didn't know when right. or how long, but I just told myself one day I've, I've got to do that. If not, I, I knew I might uh, get a little lackluster, a little lackadaisical and, and not, not keep, keep that. Right. And that was important to me. So got my unlimited earlier on. And in 2000, I started following some grand lectures. I wasn't an assistant grand lecturer. I just had a free Saturday. So followed uh, David Snyder around, followed uh, 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 several brothers uh, around, right, went to their schools of instruction and expressed an interest there and uh, uh, was extremely fortunate and humbled in 2001 when uh, most wishful Mark Nelson commissioned me as a, as a grand lecturer. So uh, uh, that was after following other lectures around uh, really since 99, right? So for two years. So wow. um, that was my hook was uh, become a grand lecturer. And uh, um, uh, my confession time is now I didn't become a grand lecturer to teach other people again. It was to hold myself accountable. If I was right. going to be out there on the floor for the next five, 10, 15 years teaching it, I had to keep my game up and keep my nose in the book. So it was my um, something of my uh, passionate ball and chain to put on myself to keep myself involved in the ritual. Right. So, so there's, there's two points there uh, that you mentioned that I, I really kind of want to spotlight because I, th I think they're amazing. The first one being that you said you were approached for a DDGM or ADGM position and it just wasn't right for you at that time. Yeah. I think that's vital to really put a spotlight on because I think so many brothers uh, going through this journey feel that they have to do this, even if they do a horrible job at it, they, they've just got to fit in that hole to you know follow this path. And to know that your point in life, that was not the right fit um, is huge. And I, I think that's a message that more brothers need to yeah. be able to look at. You know, it, like we mentioned earlier, it's that, it's that long game factor. That, that second point that I really want to uh, address on is hearing you talk about this, you really looked at what you wanted to get out of masonry. And that's the other thing I think a lot of people don't focus on is, you know, masonry is about you at the end of the day, making you a better person. And how can I take this path in front of me and best utilize that? And it sounds like your eyes were really on where I need to be and not where I'm expected to be type thing. So that's, that's really awesome to hear. I guess the third thing I would say is that sounds daunting <laughs> to, go, <laughs> to go from, uh, you know, your, your time as master of the lodge to a grand lecture. Uh, that sounds like, uh, that, that was a big role to take on. Was, uh, was that scary or where were you at when you took on grand lecture? Oh, absolutely. Especially, you know, and it's like in any organization, you know, there there was the there was the pillars of Grand Lectures already out there. Yeah. The Bob Scalars and 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 the Walter Birds of the World. These these names you had heard of or or you'd seen, you know, lightning and coming from their fingertips at schools of instruction, <laughs> right? Yes. Uh, so, so the good news is uh, when you when you do become I didn't say I was a good grand lecturer when I started, <laughs> right? You know, definitely you start in entry level and you you learn the ropes, you get a lot of coaching, right. but it was especially since uh, I still consider myself very much an introvert, which, you know, I, sure. I, I usually get scowls when I say that, but I'm not the guy that's typically on, on the front row of seats and, uh, you know, at an event, I'm, I'm not the guy that's got to have the mic in my hand. Uh, um, luckily masonry helped me with some of those skills. And, you know, at times I can put words together and make a sentence and articulate, right. But that wasn't a skill of mine. Right. And I think, um, 
knowing that starting the grand lecture uh, didn't have to be perfect. Um, just getting out there and doing it, right, kind of kind of helped me get out of some of that introvert and, and do it. it. It was a big task, but definitely uh, I saw the pillars out there, and no matter how large in life I thought they were, they were they were all there just as brothers to help you be successful, right? And uh, that, hopefully that's what we're all looking for in everything we do, right? Most definitely. So you, you've taken on this, this heavy interest into the ritual of our work, and you've taken on this role now uh, to be kind of an administrative position over that ritual. Unfortunately, if we've seen as we move into the modern day, less and less people are really going after the ritual proficiency. How important do you think that is? And are we missing out with guys not taking that path? Yeah, you know, I think that that's a tough discussion, right? For some, I think um, pursuing the certifications, right, is is one discussion, <clears throat> and and although it's connected, it's aside from learning and understanding the ritual. And you know, yeah. it seems very almost obvious for us to say that you cannot remove ritual from the discussion and definition of Freemasonry. If you do, right. it's all of these other great organizations, but it's not. Freemasonry. So I think as long as we understand that those are the principal tools of our craft, and you've got to learn how to use those, got to keep them in good shape, keep them sharp. Hopefully, at least at that level, we we have to understand how do we maintain this? You know, just one generation. All we have to do is keep our generation and hand it down one. And of course, do that, right? For the for the rest Definitely. of the, the era. So um I I think it's it's completely inseparable from the discussion of Freemasonry and a healthy lodge. It's not the only discussion. It's not the only interest, but we can't remove that, right? You've got to right. have that ritual piece. Yeah. Most definitely. Most definitely. And, you know, I, I think it's one of those things that when we don't place uh, that, that level of importance there, um, I guess what we see some guys go through the fact that they memorize some of the words, but they don't know them well enough to understand them. And I think that alone places a huge difference in, in how that work is portrayed to others. Because if you really know what you're saying, you're going to express it differently and it's going to come across differently and it's going to impact differently. So I think all those play into the into the role for sure. But I, I appreciate your point and it's so important, right? What's what's the more important, right, in my mind? Yeah. Is it is it to be able to recite? Or is it the understanding? And, and to be candid with you, sometimes one will come after the other. And sometimes sure. I think that changes. There's many times where I was able to memorize pages and pages, right? And recite it and, and yeah, get a, a, a certificate, a piece of paper. And then 10 years later, I'm sitting in a lodge and something connect, right? So yeah. to me, that's why I, to some people, I, I want to be careful here. I understand how important the certification is to you, whether you want to get the unlimited proficiencies and the proficiency cards, but at least knowing and understanding the ritual, we have to, to keep the craft alive. Just have sure. to. Yeah. You know, I, I think that's a neat point as well. How you're talking about years later, something connects. I think that's always the case, right? Because yeah. I've sat in lodge. Uh, we've got, you know, I, I think every lodge has this guy, but we've got 93 year old doc at my lodge and he's, uh, he was an unlimited or master's card in his time. Uh, got it many, many years ago, obviously. But, you know, I know when I transferred to Gardner and sit there and this guy's been through it. So just so many times and he'll sit there and go, wow. I heard that differently tonight and it, it clicked a little differently tonight. And it's like, 
if you can hear that ritual a thousand, 10,000 times, and on number 10,000, you learn it a little bit differently, it, it's kind of really a beautiful thing. And it just goes to show that it's like an onion with so many layers and you may learn it today, you may relearn it tomorrow, but there's always that, uh, that growing message behind it. I, I think our forefathers were amazingly brilliant. They knew that some people would understand before they memorize. They'd realize some of them, like me, I'd memorize. But that art of memorizing and working and coming back and and applying your wares, right, that you would get the understanding. Uh, an amazing system of, of learning, right, that they put forth here. For sure. Uh, your words there kind of <laughs> made me remember, I can't say it verbatim, but I think it was Albert Pike that said something along the lines of of talking about the creation of Masonic ritual. And either it was these men that were just at a, a knowledge level far beyond what we can conceive, or it was the greatest mistake that's ever happened. And they just happened to nail it <laughs> exactly <laughs> one way right. or the other. There's not really a medium ground there. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So at this point in your Masonic career, you, you've taken on the the uh, responsibility of a grand lecture. Um, at that point, you're you're doing district schools of instructions, uh, stuff of that nature. And then at some point, we approach the uh, the line for the Grand East. How did how did that come about, and how did those dots connect for you? Yeah, thanks. Um, I, I think like a lot of us um, started getting asked to be involved in committees, right? Again, I think sure. that's a, a wonderful place for people to start, whether at the local lodge committee level or at the Grand Lodge. Um, um, I believe it was uh, most worshipful Glenn Corr um, uh, asked me if I would be uh, his orator. We ran into each other at, at an honors conferral um, uh, for the Scottish Rite. Um, I think it would have been, um, well, it was 99, actually, right? And and he heard me speak. Um uh, there at the Scottish Rites, so asked me to be his grand orator. And, you know, the interesting thing about the grand orator is uh, you don't say much of anything all year long, right? Uh, uh, to be candid, we don't really invoke orators a lot here at our jurisdiction. So um, I had a one-year appointment and and you you meet people, you you find your interest, you, you know, some people would say get visibility, you know, I'm okay with that, but it, it's so much more than just a visibility or networking. It's finding out where there are needs and where you fit. So that was, uh, you know, that was Glenn Coors year, which I think was 2004 or so, uh, on a few committees um, uh, for uh, the Grand Lodge. And then it was uh, um, most worshipful Rick Reichert's year. He uh, um, knew I was interested, knew I was uh, trying to understand and find my place. He appointed me as the Grand Junior Warden. That was kind of my second appointed position ever with the Grand Lodge. And from there, um, just really got active. I uh, was active uh, um, at that time in the ritualistic committee, not only a grand lecture, but once you're a grand lecturer, at some point you can be asked to be on the ritualistic committee. So it was at that point that um, most worshipful Mike Halloran uh, actually pulled me aside and, and asked me of my interest in uh, helping to, to, to learn over the next four or five years and eventually serve the crafts as grand master. So Mike Halloran was, was uh, who asked me, but it was after all those other experiences, kind of even finding I was even remotely interested, you know, in a leadership at a, at a right. state level that that happened. So that's that was kind of the progression for Glencore, a little glimpse. Rick Riker really put me to work and I was on some committees uh, to boot and then Mike Halloran asking. And and the time was right at that time. Daughter was uh, well into high school and, and, and really established. So, uh, again, it was the right time for me as well. Um, yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. So it's neat because you got a little bit of a, uh, 
I guess, kind of a leeway into it. You didn't just get thrown into the deep end. Um, but still, you're talking about uh, Most Worshipful Hallering uh, pulling you aside and having that conversation. Uh, how real did it get for you in that moment? And were you thinking that far ahead? Was it just this like, oh, crap? Or how are you doing at that time? No, total oh, crap, right, moment. So when it <laughs> happened, so <clears throat> uh, it was an event that I thought I was there. And I was, uh, you know, I had my duties for the day, ushering yeah. or signing up or whatever that was. And, uh, you know, it was, um, hey, you got a minute, you know, type of thing, pulling me aside. And and somehow he expected I would go back and function, you know, the rest of the day in that role I was assigned <laughs> to after that, which I did not. But uh, you know, it wasn't expecting it, wasn't asking for it. Um, definitely people knew I was interested in, in what was next for me. But uh uh, absolutely did not have to be, you know, in a progressive line. It's just continuing to ask and, and learn. So, uh, yeah, oh, definitely a surprising moment. And uh, I needed a day or two to kind of recoup and check in with family and everything before I could answer him. But uh, again, just pleased it all worked out. And and it did. It, it lined for me really well. Yeah. So I haven't been there, but I can imagine Grand Line is a different animal. Uh, it's, it's, it's a different mind frame that you're in at that point. Did, how do I put this? Did maybe your, uh, mentors change? Um, how did that journey really go for you? Cause I mean, taking on that new mindset of being now leadership of this craft, um, how did you approach that journey moving forward? Yeah, so um, definitely you still have your core set of mentors I went to, people that were close to me that I could trust, but definitely they grow, right? I, uh, um, you know, this was a new role, so I looked for people who I thought were successful in that role, and luckily there were some both local and and those not as local I could reach out to, right? Um, um, People that I knew and saw in circles here but never had a relationship with, uh, most worshipful Tom Rom. Tom Rom was a judge here in Wichita, and uh, uh, really uh, he... His, he was several generations in Freemasonry before me, but uh, was able to pull him aside and and just talk to him and gain some knowledge. Uh, so I think in new roles, I do look for new mentors. That's one of my, uh, I guess, approaches. So, um, but you always have your people you can fall back to, and it's like, hey, you know, this is a guy that's seen me fall down and scrape my knees, right? So you just got to keep me real as I'm moving to this new role. And so, so I think it's a balance of the new mentors and the old mentors uh, uh, to kind of do the role. You, you, you decide people, I don't know if it's people you, you, you like or don't like their style, but maybe it's who you can resonate with or their styles um, kind of match with you. That's what I was looking for. and was, was easily able to find that if you just reach out and, and talk to the right people. Right. Yeah. I I think that's vital. I think that's vital for sure. Now, how about some memories during your time of Grand Line? You're you're obviously uh, involved in big events and uh, decision-making uh, points of the craft at that point. Uh, what's some memories that come back to mind of different happenings during that period of your journey? Uh, sure. Um, so it's uh, the local lodges is my love. No matter what you do, I love the large events, the grand events. We all love to get on the the stiff white shirts and bow ties, right, and and the collars and do those events. But uh, it, it's it's going to a lodge. Um, yes, your your grandmaster at the time, but a lot of the lodges. We've kind of alluded to this. Um, I, being the grandmaster and standing in his Tyler at a lodge to help them open their lodge and do their work and here what's important to them, right? And again, that's being in touch with the craft is, uh, you know, I won't grade myself, you know, others and history will do that, but that was an interest to me. If 
if understanding what their lawn mowing contract for the year was for them. And that, some of that was maybe make or break for the budget that year. Yeah. And that was important to them. So it was important to me, um, um, you know, um, driving to liberal Kansas, you know, I didn't dedicate large cathedrals my years, but dedicated a wing of a cemetery. And that for some reason is very memorable to me going out to liberal and, and yeah. being with the brothers there, you know, uh, nothing like being in liberal Kansas in August, right? Um, and a tux, <laughs> right? Dedicating a cemetery. But um, those are all very, very memorable to me, right? Um, that and just um, staying engaged at the local lodges. What What is yeah. your lodge need? Uh, it's interesting even now you can often hear, well, you know, lodges or people say, well, I, we did or didn't see the Grandmaster or, or we were hoping to get this. And um, uh, I think the lodges that asked for what they wanted from Grand Lodge or the Grandmaster that year, you'll get it. I think that's one thing I would, um, kind of an unplanned message, I'll, I'll take this PSA. If, if you need assistance, you should assume you have to ask. Um, right. The Grand Lodge is not going to be coming into your lodge business unannounced, right? Or they shouldn't be. But if you have needs, you should be asking. Um, whoever asked to see me that year for whatever reason, if I couldn't make it, I had an ambassador go for me, had a representative go. So um, I think most of, of the grandmasters you talk to, they'll say the same thing. It's, it's about the local lodges. What's important to them is absolutely what's important to us as well. The rest of it, some of it runs on script. You're going to have your grand lodge and annual communication and leadership. And those are all great in being with all those people in one room. But it's being in the small lodge with seven other guys, right, and a city I've never sat in before. Uh, that that's very memorable and memorable to me. Yeah. I think you nailed on some amazing points there because as we see masonry, especially on the grand lodge level as these, you know, almost rare occasions with the tuxedos and the, in the prompt and circumstance at the end of the day, grand lodge is this organization. It's all these individual lodges, yeah. uh, to talk about the grand master going to a local lodge and filling as the, as the Tyler, um, is really an amazing stance, but it, it brings to mind, especially not even while you're grandmaster, but working up through that line, making your way around the state and just sitting in and hearing how masonry is actually operating within your jurisdiction. How important do you think that is uh, for a grandmaster to really have a, a full view of that, you know, that intimate level of operation in the jurisdiction? Uh, imperative. Uh, and I think that there's so many differences in the state of Kansas and some other uh, larger states get this as well. Right. But uh, uh, Masonry in Wichita or or Topeka or Kansas City looks way different than it's going to look uh, right in Coffeeville, Kansas or, or liberal Definitely. Kansas. So absolutely. Um, we have district and area deputies for a reason. The grandmasters, we, we have to get out there and we have to take input from out there. That input can come from the district and area deputies and um, that's something I was pleased with um, here in Kansas. We do. Um, area deputies are absolutely part of the executive board, right? They are the executive council to the grandmaster because they know that area, right? So it's imperative. Uh, if, if I don't know what's going on in all four corners and how can I help that area? I, that's the mentality I've seen from most grandmasters I've been around. I love that take. Uh, while we're on the topic, you, you you mentioned lodges needing to ask for help or, you know, needing to be able to you know, bridge that gap, essentially. This isn't something I've seen only happen in Kansas, but we see lodges often scared to 
I guess, involve the Grand Lodge in their business. They see him as maybe a, a big brother, almost a threat. Um, what is your take on that? Because it's not just a Kansas issue. It's it's a masonry issue in general, where we have lodges that almost feel like uh, Grand Lodge can be against them at some points. Yeah, um, definitely that decade stalking through some level of this. You know, I don't know <laughs> what the answer is, except, uh, you know, for the, the four or five years running up to the Grand East and definitely still involved in other um, committees on the Grand Lodge level. Um, I would just say the, the the humbleness, right, and the introspect of the Grand Masters is there way more than these lodges think. We don't need your buildings. We're not looking to run your meetings. Yes, at Grand Lodge, they're the ones sitting on the die with the gavel. Those that are appointed must lead and those of us follow. But when it comes to your lodge, Grand Lodge doesn't run your lodge, right? right. Uh, not only are we not um, authorized to, but we're not allowed to, right? So um, I, I think lodges need to understand that it's different roles. The Grand Master and the COA has that role for a time being, but um, it's to keep Grand Lodge in order and having um, certain um, guidelines, rules, edicts, uh, processes and procedures in place. When it comes to running your lodge, you, virtual master, are the knowledge, you know, knowledge expert on that. And, and you absolutely just have to ask. I don't know how to break those barriers down just to say they're here to help. Um, I don't know of one grandmaster sitting since since I left and even upbringing five years up before I sat in the Grandies. Ask them that I have a, here's my problem statement. Will you help me? They will bring forces to bear to help you with your problem. Just somehow have to ask. Just, just don't know how to break that barrier, Alex, but uh, they're here to help. I fully believe that. And including uh, Kansas leadership this year, uh, couldn't be more proud, uh, proud and pleased to see that humble servant attitude from them. But um, you got to ask. Um, if not, they would be getting in your business. So ask. Just You got to ask, Definitely. guys. Just got to reach out. Yeah. Definitely. I, yeah, I, I think you have a wonderful insight there that I really appreciate. It, it's one of those things that's often kind of perplexed me a little bit because I've, I've literally heard, especially when we came around from moving like into the Mori systems and, you know, I know other jurisdictions use other systems, but uh, you get those comments of, well, Grand Lodge is going to be able to see all our stuff or they're going to have, they're going to have our hands and our money. And it's kind of one of those things of, but why you, you've got to understand at a degree for Grand Lodge to succeed on any level, they need you to succeed. If there are no lodges, there is no Grand Lodge. <laughs> so it's, and, you know, there's been an example or two the last year or so. And I don't know if it's the best example, but it's the only one I can come up with where, you know, on the floor of Grand Lodge, we've had lodges either uh, turn up or turn down. Uh, certain bylaws that people thought were a shoe in or they thought were placed there by the Grand Lodge. First of all, look at who sponsors, you know, bylaw changes. Rarely, rarely is a grant, unless it's a typo or some type of just uh, administrative change. Uh, it is the craft and we have had the craft sponsor bylaws in recent years that have gone and they've also uh, declined, uh, declined or turned down bylaws that people thought were, were somewhat um you know, Grand Lodge sponsored or something, right? So the craft has a voice. It's theirs. We just have to get past the fear of, of asking for help and knowing that the power is uh, with with the constituent lodges, right? Whether it's at Grand Lodge annual communication or, or running their lodges, yeah, the power, they just have to assume it and, and ask for help. And it's there. A hundred percent. Totally agree with you, most wishful. So let, let's talk a little bit about moving into your year as Grandmaster of the jurisdiction of Kansas. 
as you approach that level of your Masonic career, where was your mind at and what were some things that you had in your plan that you wanted to definitely implement or you know, put focus on? Yeah, so hopefully this doesn't come across as a cop-out, but uh, the same that you heard for the last 10 or 15 years, uh, uh, at least to, to the Kansas craft I'm talking to here, it's true. We have a strategy plan for a reason, right? Um, um, year after year, leadership gets together. They 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 fine-tune or they hone what the strat plan is to make sense. So we are all talking about and marching toward the same goal. So um, my goals were laid out before me, and I was totally bought in, not brainwashed, bought in years before I hit the Grand East, right? Uh, because it was the right thing for the craft. I was lucky to be brought into a couple of the very early, what I'm going to call grassroots strategy planning meetings, right? I sat in a room in Hutchinson, Kansas, with brothers around the state I never knew, and not one of them had a gold collar. And they were laying out the strategy of what would be the strat plan for, for Kansas, right, for the next 10 years. And this was the first round. And uh, it was leaders like, you know, Rick Reichert that brought these fellows together. He wasn't grandmaster yet, but he was appointed to get it started, right? So um, my my goal and agenda was um, were all of the objectives on the strategy plan, right? So helping Lodge get healthy and understand what that means to them. Definitely the ritual. Communication, definitely. I think we have uh, still a bit of a communication, or or maybe some wording folks won't like. A bit of a a, a marketing um, uh, problem or issue, right? With with our craft, you know how how much can we market our craft without solicitation? That seems to be sure. a struggle point, right? But uh, uh, to me, all of those things were key and critical, and they were all in the strat plan and points to address those. So um, we had the committees in place; they had objectives for each one, and my goal really was just to help get other like-minded people, right? And and people that had passion around those goals on the right committees to keep it going, right? Um, you know, it's like any leadership position. Uh, you got to get the right people. You can't do it all yourself. Um, um, rarely, if ever, I was the smartest guy in a room. And if I was, then we need to find another room or get other people in there was always my mentality, right? And <laughs> luckily was able to do that and get other people that that adhered to and bought into that strat plan as well. So um, communication, ritual, and the health of the lodge, right? That was really the the main three things. And and hopefully everything we did that year, those were held up to the light against those three things to see if it marched against those. Definitely. What would you say were some of the highlights of your time serving as Grandmaster? Yeah, boy, that's a, that's a tough one. You know, I don't, I don't really have uh don't, don't have a scrapbook that I flip back to just for that year. Um, um, I, again, something of an introvert. So when I look back uh, that year, I look at the people that helped have a good year. Um, I would say um, I had the pleasure, uh, some some personal, I guess, uh, anecdotes here, had the pleasure uh, of appointing my my brother Merle, who I'd gone through the, the pike line with, as grand chaplain that year. So we yeah. spent uh, a lot of time together, a lot of personal memories there, right? Um, definitely had a lot of mentors I was able to bring in. Uh, weren't necessarily on on any line or committee, but they were able to help me, right? Again, being in the lodges, going out to Liberal, Kansas, going to Lewis, Kansas, Wallace, Kansas, right? Um, uh, Coffeeville, Independence, hitting those lodges. Um, uh, those were probably as memorable to me as Leadership Academy. Um, again, we had, uh, I, I think every Grandmaster thinks somehow they got the greatest bunch of guys to pull together Leadership Academy. I, I, I absolutely feel the same way with uh, 
most forceful Dale Morrow kind of led the year leadership academy and got just a great bunch of guys to to help spread the light. Right. Um, those are the big things. Um, continuing our affiliation with Prince Hall year after year. Um, Cole Presley did an amazing year the year before me and set the groundwork. So to a large degree, um, <clears throat> Alex, I think some of my memorable successes were just not derailing what other great guys had done before <laughs> me, right? And, and guys behind me were wanting to do. So uh, uh, there's that, a lot that's to be really, said uh, about that. <laughs> sure. Yeah. So to get some insight here, uh, you, you've had this this long and successful Masonic career. You served as Grandmaster of the jurisdiction of Kansas. Where do you see, with with all the experience and insight that you've had in Masonry, where do you see Masonry in fifteen to twenty years from now? Yeah, boy, that's uh, that's a scary, um, um, uh, you know. I guess looking glass to try to look into, right? So um, it will be here. Period. Right? I, there's never a question in my mind about that. Um, numbers, I think, are you know going to continue to kind of. Uh, ebb and flow, you know, very likely ebb, you know, a little more. Um, so I think um, I do prescribe to the philosophy as um, masonry is is not a number, right? It's definitely uh, a mentality. It's it's um, uh, it's the gathering of like-minded people wanting to do good things together. Um, so I, I, I think it's going to be something of a continued uh, ebb into grassroots. We're going to have to continue to get more creative uh, as membership drops and, and funding for lodges and programs gets tougher. So I think we're going to have to think differently and be creative. But um, I think it's a great time to to think of where we came from, right, at least in the United States 200 years ago, right? We didn't have these these. Uh, you know, hundreds of members' lodges with with large brick and mortar edifices, right? They still found a way to be relevant with that current generation. I think we're going to be challenged to continue to do that, right? Um, yeah. It's absolutely going to be here. It's going to be strong. Um, our moral compass. We we just have to be careful there. Make sure we don't drop that ritual. The way we deliver that will that change? I don't know. Um, I think with. Uh, you know, newer technologies, new ways of learning. I think we need to be opening to how we teach other brothers. That doesn't mean that we have to change one concept, one principle, one philosophical atom of what it means to be a Mason. So let's not be afraid of, of changing as society changes. Doesn't mean we have to change our message and who we are, right? So um, I think we'll be challenged to do that. I think things are going to continue to to be challenging on the membership side. So stick to what masonry really means and and will be great and we'll hand it down to the next generation and they'll do the same right beautifully said beautifully said uh we've got a comment here from uh brother mark reader saying most wishful bomb thank you for all you do it was an honor to serve and represent you as your ddgm <clears throat> yeah you know it's um Again, it's amazing the people you're able to surround yourself with, and Definitely. even the year that you're grandmaster, right? To me, it's um, you know, there, there's always going to be that that selfish tent about I have these opportunities. Who can I find and gravitate to that I can I can polish that side of me a little bit, right? And it's definitely uh, hundreds of people like uh, uh, you know Mark Reeder and Rodney Ritchie and and innumerable other people, right? So uh, I was blessed to have. Uh, people, uh, humble servants like, like, like Mark, uh, just for the reason for his comment there. Yeah. That's Thank fantastic. You, yeah. That's fantastic. So going through everything you've gone through, uh, getting the inside of the craft, uh, your personal experience, what advice would you give 
to someone going into the grandmaster's chair next? Yeah. Yeah. So first of all, thank you. You've teed all this up, Alex. Great, great, uh, <laughs> a great flow tonight, right? So um, um, you gotta uh, you gotta stay grounded in the local lodges. That's absolutely where it's at. Um, yes, you have to you have to um, surround yourself with uh, enough people that understand the importance of the administrative side. There's things we do at Grand Lodge that aren't popular that are absolutely necessary. Uh, they don't necessarily need to be debated here, nor are they always debatable to other people. But just as your lodge is so important, so is the Grand Lodge. So um, you need to understand all of the facets of what serving the craft means and uh, wearing those several hats. Um, stay grounded in the Blue Lodges, but understanding there's administrative side and and you've got to be willing to kind of step, uh, you know, step on the fire a little bit when needed uh, about things that are important. Um, some of the smallest deviations, you know, think about a compass, just, you know, one degree separation, spread that out over a thousand miles, you're a universe away from where you should be, right? So I think it's important that at times uh, Grand Lodge has to make tough decisions of what appear to be small things that won't hurt Freemasonry in general, but may help the Lodge, but uh, there may be deeper implications. So just understand your hats, surround yourself by extremely uh, passionate, compassionate people, um, and, and great leaders like, you know, like, like Mark Reader, right? And, uh, and, and trust in them to help with the overall message. I, um, I, I think that's the best I, I can give you. There, there you are a few it. out there. We all have to be careful. There's people that have their own agendas, right? And, and Definitely. some things, uh, uh, hopefully they're ultimately it's for the better of the craft, but they may be trying, uh, trying your knowledge or testing you and and maybe there's not all bad in that but uh, i i don't play well with things like that usually i i kind of just like well you know I, I appreciate where you're going but i'm i'm focusing on this and it's okay to say that uh too right that you know what we're doing this for this reason maybe it'll benefit here but for now let's just take this win for the craft and then see where it goes from there so yeah i i think that's what leadership is all about and uh, why it's so <laughs> important to pick the right leaders that know when to use that card and when to, you know, maintain control on the course that they know is best. Most worshipful, it has been a absolute honor and pleasure uh, both to serve under you and be able to do this interview with you this evening. Uh, you have been a huge impact into my Masonic career. And before we go this evening, I want to give you the opportunity, anything else that you would like to include into this archival video? Uh, no, just uh, it's an honor to be here tonight. Just it's been an honor to serve in every uh, aspect and facet of the craft I've been able to serve in, and I'm still going to be called to serve in, right? Um, um, I, I want to thank you for this, uh, uh, this venue for uh, you briefly mentioned uh, uh, your role as director of the Kansas Lodge of Research. Uh, where that is now from where it was, um, right, uh, is amazing and is a testament to uh, uh, you bringing on qualified, uh, quality people and 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 bringing this message out. So thank you a ton and just um, appreciate the craft that uh, continue to um, impress upon me to serve. You know, uh, every week I'm finding someone, hey, we need this, Bob, can you assist, right? Um, so find your, find your space and keep serving, I guess is what I would just leave this message on. I think that's fantastic uh, to see that you've gone through all that and still you're not done. You're still going. Uh, masonry is still an important facet in your life and you've got so much more to do. So uh, my brother, thank you so much for all you do. Thank you for coming on this evening. And with that, have a great evening. Thank you most. It's worshipful. been a pleasure. Thank you. It's been a pleasure.